0: Okay, why don't we go? So this one is for the video.
1: <coughs> Look, I put a shirt. There you go. That's
0: nice. We appreciate it. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Numbers. I'm Eric Grenier and joined as always by Philippe
1: J. Fournier. Philippe, how are you doing these days? Uh, good morning, Eric. I feel much better last week for those who remember. I was under the weather and I had this sexy voice. i uh, feeling much better this week. Uh, Lots happening in the news, lots happening in Quebec, we'll get to that at some point, Uh, but uh, what about you? uh, How's everything, Eric? You're holding on tight?
0: I, I'm I'm maintaining my sanity uh, as things go forward, so that's good. Looking forward to the holidays, which just feels like it's coming very quickly, but not quickly enough. Oh, it's um, coming. Yep. Yeah, and and we're and we're gonna maybe uh, do something fun next weekend or the weekend after, right? Might go to the Quebec Solidaire convention because it's in Gatineau, just across the river from me. So we'll see just, how that goes. But.
1: Just across the river, and we'll have. I, I'm pretty sure we'll have a recordings for our for our members uh, live from the Quebec Solidaire. Uh, convention, they will choose their new female co-spokesperson, uh, and uh, and also they, you know, the, the Quebec Solidaire has not been doing well in the polls, and I so I, I, there might be some tension. And uh, from from past conventions, we know that uh, delegates of Quebec Solidaire mm-hmm. can be very passionate people. So uh, it, it's going to be a, a fun time. But we'll talk about more about that next week.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll have to avoid uh any of that uh you know try not to get eaten alive i guess by the uh, the rabbit members but um, oh <laughs> we'll talk about um well well there is, i don't want to get sidetracked on it but yeah they they there there's been a lot of kind of infighting it seems over mm-hmm. the last little while so you know i know there fights might break out probably not in Quebec City but anyway <laughs> um uh yeah Anyway, let's let's move on. Let's move federal on to numbers. federal <laughs> numbers. Because um, we got a few that we should talk about. Uh, so there was um, the numbers that came out from Abacus Data, which uh, had uh, another big lead for the Conservatives, 16 points, 41 for the Conservatives, 25 for the Liberals, 19 for the NDP. Uh, there was a, a Nanos poll that came out, uh, and it had the, the Liberals and the NDP only two points apart for for third place or second place, I suppose. And um, I don't know. What do What do you make of these numbers? Uh, we'll start with the voting intentions once, because we did have some some polling on some other issues as well.
1: Yeah, it, it's strange. Uh, on the, usually, voting intentions is the first thing that I look at, and uh, you, then you look at the other gra- more granular data that we have. But um, it, it it it's not at, very different from what we've seen in the yeah. past. I would say two months. Uh, it reinforces, I mean, I, I, what was it, 15 points again in Ontario. Uh, that's right there. That's a crushing majority for the Conservatives. But uh, for me, it was the government satisfaction and a Trudeau approval that were way down. And they, they, those numbers continue to slip. And uh, you yeah, know, we may be sounding like a broken record, but... We've wondered in past podcasts, Eric, how low can this go? I mean, at some point, mm-hmm. you have to reach a new point of equilibrium where, I don't know, a majority are unsatisfied. We know that. But uh, 58% people disapproved of the federal government. Only 16% uh, of respondents in Abacus poll uh, won the Liberals re-elected. Those are incredibly dire numbers for the Liberals. And you have to wonder how if it if it's so deep that at some point there's no going back, right? It's
0: yeah, th- that's kind of the issue. I was asked recently like how worried should the liberals be about this? And like it's it's hard to be to say anything other than they should be really worried about <laughs> these yeah. numbers. It's true they have 2 years and everything. Like if this was if we were if this was, uh, you know, September 2025, I'd say pack it up, go home, you're done. Uh here it's more or less like you know, get get to the mattresses. Like, you need to—the Liberals are in a lot of trouble. The the numbers you mentioned, though, for the uh, that question that Abacus uh, puts out information for now and then, it seems like, because they have a chart going back, they ask it every time. Yeah. But uh, time for a change or re-elect Trudeau. So there was 16% said it was time to re-elect the Liberals. 52% said time for a change, and there's a good alternative. And then there's this other number, the 32%, that say time for a change— But there isn't a good alternative. Yeah. Now, a lot of those people, just based on the voting intentions, are not voting for the Liberals. But it does suggest there is some discomfort with the other options. Uh, So maybe uh, some people aren't too enthusiastic about the Conservatives. Some people might not be too enthusiastic about the NDP, but they're voting for them anyway. Uh, You know, you put the 32 and the 16 together, you got 48. That's more than you need. But the Liberals aren't going to get all of that. Oh, no. uh, no, it's the the core is just so small that they just it's hard to add and add and add and add to a, a core that is already so low, right? Because if you're getting 16% support as your base core support, yeah, I mean you need to double that in
1: order to just still be in contention. And at the, we are at the point where the conservatives. I know it's it, it will sound weird to say, but the conservatives don't need to grow anymore. They they just need yeah. to hold, right? Uh, when they were at 37 or 38, you always say, well, if you want to make sure you get a majority, you want to have some room for maneuver. Uh, but at this point, if you're in the low 40s, uh, The last one to get uh, 40% in the federal election was Jean Chrétien, and, you know, okay, it was against a split right, but he still got 40%. Harper didn't do that. Trudeau didn't do that even in his first election. Uh, So for Pierre and the conservatives, you look at these numbers and you say, okay, we got our base. If we keep this 40%, we will be, you know, invincible. Uh, even if the, the Liberals manage to completely wear down the, the the NDP and take three or four additional points from them, they won't be even close to us. Uh, so it's going to change the dynamic of the next two years because you wonder again how does a comeback work? Uh, Fifteen point down in Ontario, double digits down in Atlantic Canada, you're still not dominating Quebec. The, you know, the, Liberals are doing okay in Quebec, just just under or just above thirty percent, but that you don't make gains from that. <laughs> you don't you don't overcome you know losing fifty seats in Ontario by maybe maintaining Quebec. So, but I, 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 did, did did you take a look at the uh, the, the federal uh, in, uh, voting intention by age? We've seen mm. this many times uh, in recent polling that the Liberals basically are losing in, in every age group. Sorry, and when you look at the younger cohort, they're still doing okay. Twenty six percent. They're tied with the the NDP. They they have twenty nine. The Liberals, uh, the Conservatives, are in first. But now the Liberals are even losing the older voters, which they seem to be able to hold on to them in recent polling. So in this uh, Abacus, sixty and over forty six percent conservatives, and twenty seven Liberals. Uh, you can't lose seniors by 19 points and and do okay in an election. That just can't happen.
0: Yeah, this is one of the things that's a bit different from some of the other polls, because you had seen that the conservatives yeah. were more or less had roughly equal support among the different age groups, and it was the liberals who were having more support over older uh, among right. older voters, less among younger, and this instead is... More what we've seen in the past, where the Liberals have about the same support among different age groups, and the Conservative support increases as people get older, Um, which is probably the better place to be in. I know we've talked a lot about how the Conservatives have reached out to young voters and, you know, getting new people involved in politics, but let's face it, even if turnout among young people is up, still going to be really low, almost certainly. So if the Conservatives are instead getting back among older voters, then that's better for them, right? Because those people are more likely to turn out, which means that we get back to the scenario where you would almost expect the Conservatives to be able to beat their polls rather than to kind of match them, which is what the Liberals were able to do because of how their vote broke down. So uh, we'll see if other polls are going to show this, because that would be one of the big differences from what it's been over the last couple months. But uh, it's not a bad development for the Conservatives. I know a lot of people would say that you know the new voters that they're bringing in are 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 really interesting for them but if you're trying to win an election you you'd rather have the 16 over on your side.
1: Oh, absolutely. It is, there's no question. And I, if I may add there, there was also a Leger poll and adjacent to the Nanos poll. Uh the the pre the preferred prime minister question. Uh I think you know not a lot of people talk about this one. It's not in as popular an indicator as uh, as uh, others. But we've seen in the Nanos numbers, M. Poilievre slightly taking a lead. It was in August, I think, when they were tied. And then M. Poilievre took a lead of a few few points. Now we have two polls asking the same question. In your opinion, which federal party leader would make the best prime minister? And Nanos has 34 Poilievre, 21 Trudeau. Léger has 27% Poilievre and 17 Trudeau. So we're talking about double digits here. Uh, If only 17% of Canadians really want Trudeau as a prime minister. Uh, Not only are the liberals cooked, but Justin Trudeau's magic cannot overturn these numbers because he himself is not as popular as he once was. Uh, you know, you know the way he, he took the party on his shoulders uh, against Sheer, against o, against O'Toole. It doesn't look like it's possible anymore to do that. But uh, he's yeah. not
0: more popular than his party, right? Which nope. is, um, especially with, like when, because when the the best prime minister ones always have options for I don't know or none of the above or something like that. And so it, it, you have to compare it to the voting intentions before you take out the undecideds. But you know, you look at Singh's number in the Leger poll, they had 16%. they have a 27% suggesting he might be a little bit less popular than his party. But uh, for Trudeau to be at 17, like he's he's well behind, I think, where, where the party would be. Uh, so he's not pushing them forward uh, or maintaining their support, I would say, anymore, right? There is the idea that if he was gone, the, the Liberals might do even worse. Because in the summer, like you said— yeah. The Liberals had moved behind the Conservatives by, by several points, but on the Nanos poll, at least, on best prime minister, they were usually still tied. Yep. Uh, but that's just no longer the case. So it does seem that you know Trudeau's
1: not a plus for the party uh, like he used to be. Eric, I, I know it's a perennial question, but in your opinion, does that change for the, the timing of the next election? I mean, we, I, we've discussed now how well the Liberals are down, so they, they will go the distance if they can to wait as, to wait it out as long as possible. Uh, is it sustainable to, to keep for 23 months again uh, yeah. the Liberals, a very unpopular government right now? I, I, I'm not sure how – I don't think we have a precedent from this. I'm trying to think of a recent precedent. When was the the last time a government that was so unpopular that still had two years to go and managed to go to distance? Uh, well, I mean, there was the the Mulroney government, uh, which was yeah. which
0: was unpopular for a long time. Yeah, um, but that was a majority government, right? So they could run out the clock, which they did. They went more or less as long as they yeah. could, the full five years. Uh, for this case, it's it's. You have to wonder how an election would happen, though. I think that's the issue, <laughs> yeah. is that the NDP, you know, for all its saber-rattling, it's unlikely that they would really want to risk an election. There's just very little for them to gain, even if they're losing lots of face supporting a, an unpopular government. And then there's the bloc, right? There was reporting, I think it was by Joël Denis Bellavance recently, yep, that the bloc more or less said, we don't want an election. We're not going to force an election. Right. So there's two partners there that they have. And it's hard to imagine a scenario where both the bloc and the NDP yeah. feels like it's a, it's a good time to have an election. At least one of them w- won't. Right. So if the liberals do want to, I feel like they can last until wow. the end of 2025. It'll be it'll be, you know, a roller coaster <laughs> like that's on two wheels and and that kind of thing. But
1: like, I think that they can hang on forever the well, block uh, is
0: a- forever legally. well yeah
1: legally, yeah the, the bloc is a toxic partner though for any party um
0: because but it's one thing to be a partner and it's another thing just to not vote the government down yeah. you know yeah that's
1: true yeah
0: like the bloc could abstain or uh, or could like reluctantly say they're going to keep them out because they don't want the conservatives environmental plan to come in something like that you know like there's ways to there's ways to keep that distance Uh, without being seen as a partner.
1: That's true. Uh, However, I'm less confident that I was four months ago that uh, the government will survive the next budget Uh, because these things can happen fast, even if it's not in their best interest. We know that sometimes when you're on the floor and politics can be emotional and you can you can go outside the irrational thinking that you and I just uh, sit here in our in our basement talking about the numbers and politics I'm not my i think basement. But, <laughs> well i am <laughs> but figurative basement then uh it, 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 how are they going to pass a budget you know uh, so i don't know it's uh, i i feel like a 2024 election is not as crazy as it once was let's say uh even though Again, it doesn't look like the economy will pick up that fast. Uh, interest rates—we'll see. We'll see uh, how it goes, but I don't think the short term is uh, is uh, is a good look for the for the economy. But what oh would well. you give the odds then? What would you give the odds that
0: that we we, we have the election on the scheduled date in October twenty
1: twenty five? Percentage wise, okay. So fall uh, fall twenty five. I would give it maybe a little more than 50%. So I would say it's the most likely scenario, but I don't think it's a slam dunk because things can happen. And this government is... I mean, if the numbers keep slipping, because we haven't seen, again, the the new equilibrium point, we haven't seen it yet. Um, Can a government govern with a 25% approval rating? Can a prime minister stay there if 70% (laughs) of voters want him gone? At some point if you're in the liberal team, you have to do something. And I know Justin Trudeau just went on Bell Media. It was on the, uh, with uh, Michel Berard of Nouveau just clearly stating, oh, yeah, I'm staying for the next election. It's I made up my mind a long time ago. Uh, and it was a very candid interview. It was very interesting. But I kept thinking during that that interview, like, yeah, it might not be your call. <laughs> if your MPs at some point say, look at, those, look at those charts, just uh, Trudeau, how can he stay that long? So I don't know. We'll see. The but.
0: thing is, though, if he is, unless he's he's decided he's going to go, he has to say he's a hundred percent in it, because the moment he would say anything that suggests he's considering stepping aside, then he's done. That's like, true. That's it. That's true. Then we all, everybody, just like so. He, he has to maintain his option open of staying, because as soon as he says well we'll see how things go then he's done he's cooked and he's got to go like there's no way that you can come back from that so um i think that's probably one of the reasons why he keeps saying that but um i would probably give it more like 90% i still feel Ooh. like there's i just feel like the you know you don't know, like the submarine you got to launch the nuclear missiles you have to put the both keys in there's three keys Uh, that have to turn and I just don't I just don't know if there can be three parties that will uh, defeat the government the liberals could be stupid enough to call another early election uh, which to me would be stupid like after the 2021 example oh yeah and the fact that every move that the liberals are making now is being cast in the light of desperation yeah if they called an early election like that's that that would just be a you know Electorally assisted aid and dying, like it would just be, it would just be the stupidest thing. So, but you can't rule out people
1: doing stupid things. Oh no, things. especially groups so. of people that that convince themselves <laughs> that no, yeah, maybe we're maybe we're smarter than other people. Um, did you see that the also said the satisfactory number? Just to go back to the Leger poll here, so. Uh, 82 percent of liberals remain satisfied but when you break it down by very satisfied and somewhat satisfied 16%, 16 percent mm, 16 one yeah. six are very satisfied those are liberal voters so uh, and those are remaining liberal voters <laughs> those who are still there in the in the poll yeah uh you know softening of not support. a lot of enthusiasm no no i don't i don't think that many of those remaining Liberal voters wouldn't necessarily jump ship and go to another party, but they could do like in 2011 with Michael Nadev and just, you know what, I'm going to watch the game tonight. And then so. <laughs>
0: there was a question about whether Trudeau should resign. Uh, and Nationally, I, I never care what the numbers say nationally because wh- whatever, you can just look at the other numbers. Uh, but <laughs> among Liberal voters, and again, these are people who are voting Liberal now, 24% yeah. said he should, 58 said no. And there was 18 that were on the fence. So um, uh, there are a lot of liberals themselves who th- who are doubting it, and, and it goes with just what you said, right? There's there's not a lot of enthusiasm behind the government. Um, so, but again, like I don't,
1: I, uh, if they end up with the worst leader, they'll be in a worse place, right? So, uh, <laughs> and we know from yeah. the past. I mean, I remember the 06 election uh, when the Liberals lost they they were like oh yeah no we'll be back right back on the trail uh, on a track uh, in 2 3 years from now they they, they sometimes when you lose power uh, you can lose it for a decade or more and uh, it it could take a, a long time for the popular opinion to switch back to you, uh, to your favors and you have to find a you know a popular leader, leader which is not easy for the liberals you have to find somebody who speaks Really great French is a francophone, preferably not uh, not uh, you know, mandatorily, but preferably. Uh, and I don't think there's a huge line of um, potential candidates here. So, oh well.
0: Why don't we move on to uh, this other poll that came out? Uh, change the topic a little bit. It was about the carbon tax and the carve out that the Liberals brought in. This was by the Angus Reid Institute. Um, this was just out Thursday morning. We're recording this on Thursday, and. You know, there's a couple of things that I thought were interesting. They had just like support for the carbon tax uh, was about 45% who said they strongly or moderately supported it and 56 said they oppose it, um, which, I, you know, I'm actually surprised that the uh, opposing numbers weren't as big as that. But there are certain things about this that I think are interesting, right? Because so there was a question about, to the best of your knowledge, have you or your household received a carbon tax rebate over the past year? 63% said that they thought they did. Uh, I'm not sure what the actual number of, of the amount of people who get it is.
1: 63 and this was I think high. they
0: I think they limited yeah they limited it to the places where it's actually given. It's not oh, like okay, Quebec okay, in BC. okay. Yeah, because then I thought about that. But then the question I I thought that was really interesting because do I, I pay the carbon tax? I live in Ontario. Do I have any idea how much of the carbon tax I pay? No, it's like <laughs> it's not like a little line item on my receipt, right? I have yeah. no idea how much I pay, but I do yeah. get a, a rebate. And the question they asked was, do you feel that the amount you receive is more or less than what you pay in the carbon tax? 14% said, I got more back in rebates that I paid in carbon taxes. Hmm. 13% said, I just break about even. And 54% say, I pay more. But I'm pretty sure that the budget (laughs) officer has said more or less like 80% of Canadians uh, get more out of it, right? So it, it just shows the perception of this. Because the reality is that most of the people who said they're not they're not getting more in the rebates are wrong, but they don't know it. And and that's kind of what's fueling a little bit of of, of people's views of it. So I thought that was an interesting way to, way to look at this.
1: There's also, I mean, we have to also be careful here. There's been a lot of rage farming and provocation and misinformation about the carbon tax. And we're not here, Eric and I, to Defend or promote this carbon tax, but we can see there's been a lot of bullshit argument about it the, from from elected officials and from uh, some media that, that completely disinform what it does and how it works, um, and uh, it, it, those, I mean those numbers I think are so interesting to show, to show the perception again. If half of people who pay the carbon tax feel that they pay more than they receive, that's numerically wrong. It, it just it that's not true at all but this is how they feel right so yeah it shows the, the liberals have lost this that absolute that public relations battle absolutely and this this uh, you could argue also that this carve out uh that they did for uh, well not only but for mostly atlantic provinces uh how much of a blunder that was like you have a policy that is not popular and then you 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 defend it for 2 years or 3 years and then at the slight problem in the polls, you just say, oh, well, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll just give them a little bit so they can be satisfied. But the, the conservatives mostly argue that the carbon tax increases the cost of living, whereas it's not numerically the case, <laughs> right? You, no, those who pollute a lot, those who consume a lot of uh, fossil fuels and other things that pollute, yeah, they pay a little more. But most of the people get more than they receive. Uh, but they've lost that fight. So uh, IRP, the carbon tax in this country, I'm not sure what it will be replaced by. Uh, I saw those T-shirts at the uh, Conservative Convention, "Ax the tax, they, you know, it rhymes, it's a beautiful slogan. Um, but that I think that tax is is uh, will be gone to, to the first day the Liberals are out of power. They've lost the communication battle.
0: You said one thing, and I just want to note, because I didn't actually realize this, but... Uh, while atlantic canadians are most likely to use home heating oil there are actually more people outside of atlantic Can- uh, canada that use home heating oil in just the sheer numbers it's very small percentages like four or five percent in ontario or whatever but the actual number of people who use home heating oil outside Holy- of atlantic canada is bigger it's only about like 25 percent, i think i saw of the entire like amount of households that use home heating oil are in atlantic canada now that's Hmm. nearly four times their proportion of the population so it's disproportionately in atlantic canada but yeah. it isn't but so anyway that's another thing this this public relations battle is being lost on that because uh while it's it's certainly going to impact a higher percentage of atlantic canadians than other canadians but it, just in terms of the sheer number of it, it's actually more people outside of Atlantic Canada. So I thought uh, <laughs> that was interesting. Now, I don't know. I, I, I can't remember what their numbers, how many of those people were in, like, B.C. and Quebec. And so it doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, but... Anyway, that's an interesting interesting little asterisk I wanted to add to that.
1: There's also the question, which of the following statements is closest to your view? And I'm going to read the the, the statement here. Fighting climate change should come first, even if it increases the cost of living for some Canadian household. Or cost of living concerns should come first, even if it damages policies to fight climate change. This is, I think, the most depressing chart I've seen in a long time, because again you know finding climate warming global warming you cannot do it without some sacrifice without some effort and our politicians instead of leading the way in this they've decided you know what we're just going to comfort people and say no 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 nothing's going to change uh, we'll we'll do the transition at some point not not now of course but in the future when you look at the number 63% Say co- cost of living should be first before climate change, as if climate change is not going to cost us in the future. Oh, like I don't know those uh, those wildfires that we had. Twenty seven percent say climate change should come first, and when you break it down by party, by federal vote in twenty one, uh, we have unanimity on the conservatives. Ninety one percent to four favor the cost of living, whereas in other parties, it's like split down the middle it's like 50 50 we i see the liberals 45 43 the ndp is 46 42 that's saying that climate change should come first uh again confirming this this battle has been lost canada is not going to do its part to fight global warming uh because i look at this and i say we may had a chance at some point in the past but we've lost it and we won't do anything for the next decade because of that so
0: there is it's really a, two points of view on this, right? Because you have, as you said, the liberal NDP and block numbers are almost all identical. yeah, right? So there's those three parties, see or at least the supporters of them, see things in a similar way, and they're divided on it, and then conservatives are completely not. They're very clear on one side, uh, which I find is an interesting thing because if you're Pierre Poilievre, it's clear who you have to talk to, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're the other parties, you're, you're, even your own coalition of voters is split between whether you should put climate change first or cost of living, right? So you, it, they're in a... Uh, and they're also splitting that vote, right? They're also splitting the uh, climate change first vote. So it, it, it just shows that the Conservatives are very well-ensconced on one side of the debate. And they don't... When you look at numbers like this, they don't need to worry about
1: it. They're, they're fine with, with being on that side. Scientifically, this is a disaster. I can't. I, I mean, I. I know people would say, "Don't aren't you an astrophysicist?" Yeah, I'm a physicist also, and I did a lot of you know uh, classes on on climate uh, when I was at university. And even then, it was the late '90s and early 2000s. The scientists there knew then, like, "Oh, this is if we could if the, if this keeps up for 25 years, it's going to be really bad." Um, I think the the, the politics has has lost the scientists who tried their best to convince people that we had to transition it's not happening uh, it's too bad we will uh, in the future we will regret this at some point uh or not we'll see but uh well <laughs> i'm pretty that's sure the, we'll regret it I, well, no, I, some I, people I don't have much faith yeah. i don't have much faith anyway oh, but, yeah. uh, it's really hard not to be a cynic here i'm fighting yeah. i'm fighting it but
0: uh, and you know what we're I, i'm uh, You know, we're talking about parties and politicians. And, I mean, Canadians have to own up to it. You look at the poll here. When it comes to the 2030 emissions reductions target, Canada should keep working towards them, 54%, say. But also, don't worry. Cost of living, I can't afford it. And uh, get rid of these measures in place. Uh, So people would like not to have climate change. (laughs) And they would like someone else to do it. Someone else to take care of it for me.
1: Yeah, but China. China. Yeah, so... So I we mean, we, we should we should uh, go into another topic here before I go off, but uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's talk All about right. something more uh, cheery, like, I don't know, Ontario, maybe? Sure, why not?
0: Let's do that. <laughs> uh, the Ontario Liberal Leadership Race, we haven't talked about it too much, um, but there was some news uh, from last week. So uh, Nate Erskine-Smith and Yasser Nakvi uh, came out with an announcement, more or less saying that they were going to... Uh, help each other out in terms of getting the vote out and on election or leadership voting day or whatever it is. Because um, a lot of the voting actually is going to be in person, which is, it's not like just mail it in, right? They got centers set up all across the province for people to go vote, which I think is good. I think it's good to have, if you're running a party mm. and you want to get people involved and engaged, I don't think it's good to, you know, give me your name on a website, send something in the mail. Never see another living soul that exists in this party. I think it's good that, that people actually have to go talk with people, uh, you know, see yeah. other on, Ontario Liberals. I think that's a good thing. Anyway, so they're going to do that, and they're inviting their supporters to rank each other second because it's a ranked, ranked ballot, hmm. the intent being to block Bonnie Crombie. Uh, what do you think of this?
1: Well, I, I think... Well, some people would say that it's a desperate move. I don't think it's as desperate as if you have a ranked ballot, this is what you have to do to to, to win. Uh, maybe it's a bit late uh, for the, because there's only like, what, three weeks left? Three weeks? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and
0: voting, I think, is starting in... A week or two, uh, I think voting is in because the, the announcements on december second yes. I think voting yes, starts yeah. around the twenty fifth or something like that yeah
1: so it 's a bit late in the campaign uh, i the thing is we haven 't seen that many numbers uh, no. that, that were that became public. I know Main Street had some numbers that showed that the crombie was the only one basically that gave the Liberals a bump in the polls against the NDP and against the p c um, it, it depends what the uh, what the, the average Ontario uh, Liberal voter wants. Do, do, um, do you want really progressive policies that will compete with the NDP, or do you just want to take power again and beat Doug Ford? Doug Ford will be vulnerable uh, in in three years from now, uh, and. Uh, but again the pc brand is still very strong to this day we had one poll from innovative research that still had the pcs at uh, i think it was 40 percent or 41 um, so yeah. yeah 41 so the, the, the pc brand is still very strong even though mr ford uh, has taken a few hits um do you want to have do you want to be right or do you want to win <laughs> uh, it looks to be it looks to be the, the conundrum that Ontario Liberals face uh, right now. I, I, of course, it'd be nice to be right and win, um, but uh, what do you think? Do you think it could be enough for either of these candidates to uh, to have a shot of beating Miss Miss Crombie? I, the thing is, I I
0: I think that doing this in a ranked ballot makes sense because I yep. think it's important to tell your voters who to back, uh, you know, second or third, and especially if you get someone else to do that, right? Because if you don't give people very clear signals, they might kind of dis, uh, di, uh, you know, distribute their vote all over the place. Um, in this case, though, I mean, the race has been very clearly Bonnie Crombie versus the rest, right? So a lot of voters probably, especially party members who are very engaged and follow politics— are aware of this. So I'm not sure how many votes it's actually going to move. The fact that they're going to team up to for get out the vote efforts, maybe that's a good thing. I think that that probably might have a bigger impact. But the thing is that if Bonnie Crombie gets 42%, mm. she's probably going to win on the first uh, oh. uh, eventually cuz when you're you're always going to have some voters that are going to peel off, like it's yep. not going to be that 100% of, let's say, NACV's voters are going to rank Erskine Smith second. There will be some that'll go to Crombie. There'll be some who won't rank anybody. And so it matters most if they make sure that she gets 35 or maybe 40 That's on the right. first ballot. Because as long as she gets anywhere over 42, I think usually uh, would be the a, a good number, then she'll eventually just win anyway. So what's the strategy to make sure she gets below that number? And that's not clear here.
1: And also the voters, they do pretty much whatever they want. We have to remember yeah. that yes, though those candidates, there's some animosity between the camps, between the the and the non crombie camps. Yeah, just some, just a little a little <laughs> but, animosity. But the thing is, I'm not sure that this animosity translates to voters. Uh as much, mm. right? They they seem they're to be members really dis- though. I don't know. Well, yeah, they seem to like really dislike each other, but Guess what? If, let's say, Miss Grumpy does win and she has a shot to win power in 2026, uh, they're going to fall in line. <laughs> uh, they're going to fall in line. So some of them might go to the NDP, although, um, you know, I know there's there's an animosity there between the OLP and the NDP. So, um, yeah, I, I just don't think that many voters really feel the same animosity that candidates in a race, in an emotional race. Uh, I don't just don't think it translates as much, but uh, we'll see. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting. I, you think forty two percent would be the sweet spot for Crombie? Because it, it's possible it's that she minimum. gets forty eight, right? And and then, yeah, no,
0: no. I think that she might actually get fifty three on the first yeah. ballot. I'm just saying, for yeah. if she's over forty two, then I think she probably is gonna end up winning. If she's over forty five, right. then it's certain she'll end up winning. Um, but one of the things, like you mentioned about how you can't tell, you know, you can't control your voters in the 2017 Conservative leadership race. Uh, Brad Trost, who was a socially conservative <laughs> candidate, he told his voters, do not rank anybody else aside from Pierre Lemieux, who was another social conservative at the time. He, he did not, He, I think he explicitly said, don't rank like Andrew Scheer. Don't rank these other people. If I don't win, if Pierre Lemieux doesn't win, then you know your vote should just be distrib- uh, discarded. But a lot of Andrew Scheer's voters, when Brad Trost dropped off, a lot of them came from the Brad Trost camp. So even that explicit do not rank yeah. this person,
1: Yeah.
0: A lo- while some did, there was a bunch of them that, that didn't rank anybody, a huge amount still just went with, well, who do I like next? I know my guy doesn't like this guy, but I don't think he's that bad. So I think that might be what could happen here. And especially when you had Ted, uh, Ted Sue not mm-hmm. get in on this, yeah. it yeah. might signal to a few of his voters that, well, maybe Bonnie Crombie's not so bad. Maybe I can rank them. Uh, maybe I can rank her, uh, her a second or third. So we'll see. We'll see.
1: Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like yeah, you remember him. <laughs> well, um, I do now, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> because Andrew Shear was not a social conservative enough for Mr. Trust. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, the purity
0: test for uh, people uh, when you're on the extremes of anything, left or right, that purity test, it's tough. It's tough to pass. That's true. That's true. <laughs> There was one thing I wanted to talk about uh, as well that I highlighted, just as a little thing. You now, this is not a Prince Edward Island political podcast, but you know, next election it will become one. Mm. Um, but anyway, Jamie Fox—not the Jamie Fox, but the Jamie Fox who's an MLA in <laughs> PEI—he uh, is—he resigned. He's stepping down as the PC MLA. He was a cabinet minister because he got the conservative nomination in Malpec, uh, one of the four ridings in right. PEI. I find it interesting, one, that they've named him theoretically two years out from the election. But I wonder how many more of these we're going to see. Uh, There was David Brazil, who was the former uh, interim PC leader in Newfoundland and Labrador. He announced he's going to step down. He's got some—it seems like he's got some actual health issues that he has to deal with. But he said that if my health improves, then I might be interested in a federal run. I'm wondering how many people are are looking at the numbers, looking at projections like yours, seeing like, hmm— I could become the, uh, the minister here. PI is going to have to have a minister. Could be yep. me. Newfoundland and Labrador is going to have to have a minister. Who better than me? I'm a former uh, uh, interim party leader. Uh, I wonder how many of these figures we're going to see come out of the woodwork from the provincial level, municipal level, uh, putting their names forward because they think, I'm going to be in the federal cabinet of Pierre Poliev.
1: That's right. All I need to do is, is uh, quit my job here. And Malpec would be uh, winnable for the Conservatives. I mean, yeah. you look at the history, the recent history. Yeah, okay, the, 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 the Liberals won it by almost 50 points in 2015, but it was only a, an eight-point margin uh, two years ago. And uh, I mean, we don't have polls specifically of Prince Edward Island, but we've seen a big shift in Atlantic provinces. And we assume some of that at least bleeds into uh, Prince Edward Island. So uh, interesting move. And I think for the federal conservatives, yeah, you would like to have some people who have proven that they can be elected, even if it's in small writing, uh, that have some experience, uh, the ground game experience, especially. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting move. Absolutely.
0: Okay, let's do some questions. Yes. We got, um, again, we're getting a lot of questions, which is really good. And then it's oh, yeah. tough for us because we have to dis- we have to not do some of your questions. So uh, we ask for questions for people on the Patreon uh, and in our Discord. And you can become a member of our Patreon at thenumberspod.ca for as little as $3 a month for the Patreon. Uh, $5 if you want to get the exclusive episodes of the numbers that we do every second week. Anyway, so we got a, c- a number of questions. Um one of them I wanted to do, uh, maybe we'll do that one last because it's a bit more fun. But um, <laughs> Ali Gersoy on the Discord, he yeah. asked, what are the precedents for an incumbent outgoing prime minister losing their own seat? And how safe is Justin Trudeau in Papineau in 2025? Just so I, I'll, you, I'll,
1: yeah, Just before you get to answer that, Eric, because I know you've done some research. Yes, right? I came um, prepared. You came prepared, and good for you. When I saw that question, I just, from the top of my head, aside from Kim Campbell, I could not think of a PM losing an election and losing their own seat. Uh, and uh, that then you did the research, and I'm really curious to know what you came up with, because I, from the top of my head, I could not think of anyone. Okay, so uh,
0: in terms of losing the election and the seat... Uh, some of these lost the election and, and their seat. They, But also some of them were won the election and lost their seat. Uh, mm-hmm. Think of uh, Robert Bourassa. That happened. To
1: oh, him, right? but OK. But I was thinking
0: of federal level. But sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But okay. I'm just using that as an example. OK. okay. So PMs, prime ministers. There was Kim yep. Campbell, as you said, 1993. Yep. She lost in Vancouver Centre. The previous one before that was Mackenzie King in 1945. Wow. He was running in Prince Albert in Saskatchewan. And he lost there uh, by about 129 votes for the CCF. And then he had to run in a by-election in Glengarry to get a seat in the House. Before that, it's, I'll, I'll start at the beginning, maybe. So <laughs> the first one, there, I, I'm pretty sure this is correct. But there's only these five cases. First one is 1921. Arthur Meehan, who was the incumbent conservative prime minister, he lost in Portage La Prairie. Uh, he lost to a progressive and he had to come back with a by-election in Grenville, though at this point he is, his government had been defeated. So he returned to the House as the opposition oh, okay. leader. Okay. In 1925, Mackenzie King, again, <laughs> lost in York North. This was a riding uh, in the Toronto area, or just outside Toronto. He lost to the Conservatives. And to get a seat, he had to go to Prince Albert in Saskatchewan. So that's how he ended up in oh. Saskatchewan for the 1930s and up until he was defeated in 1945. Uh, he actually ran against uh, John Diefenbaker in one of those elections. And oh. then the other case, the last one, is again, Arthur Meehan, 1926, George <laughs> the Prairie, lost to the Liberals. So there are five cases, three prime ministers, uh, yeah. and it was Meehan in 21, King 25, Meehan again in 26. Uh, so it was tough being a prime minister in, in the 1920s. So wow. that's the precedence. So now you answer, Trudeau and Papineau, what do you think?
1: here's the thing. Trudeau is not as unpopular in Quebec. He's not very popular in Quebec, but he's not as unpopular as elsewhere in Canada. And in Montreal, the Liberals are still doing fine. So considering that Monsieur Trudeau won, I think, by 26 points, I think it was uh, last time around, uh, I I do not see the voters of Papineau uh, voting for another party than the Liberals, especially if there's a Trudeau on the ballot. Now, let's say Trudeau is not there. Papineau was not a liberal fortress before St. Trudeau. It was actually a, a Bloc Québécois seat before. Now, the demographic of uh, Montreal mm-hmm. has changed, so the Bloc Québécois would be very hard. I think the NDP could have a shot at winning this eventually, but uh, I, r- I strongly doubt, and you can roll the tape if I'm wrong in two years, but I strongly doubt that Monsieur Trudeau could lose Papineau. It's it's too good of a riding for, for the liberals and for himself.
0: You might not know this offhand, so if you don't, it's okay. But provincially, who owns these ridings? Is
1: it Quebec Solidaire territory or is it Liberal territory? It's uh, half and half Quebec Solitaire okay. and the Liberals. Yeah. Okay. So. There you go. So it's All not right. nationalist um, parties. So. Yeah. That's it.
0: Okay. So we'll do this one uh, maybe just quickly from Jaybird on the Discord asked, uh, what do we say about the green polling? Nanos mm-hmm. had them at double digits, apparently very high in Atlantic Canada. I didn't see the regional numbers, but uh, Abacus um, has had them up a little bit as well. Um what do you think?
1: I, I don't think much of this. Well, here's the thing. I, I While I understand green supporters to be very excited to see double digits somewhere because it is strange and it is new and I understand how supporters sometimes can think, don't forget that the nanos tracking, although I do give it a, a good rating, uh, the nanos tracking is 1,000 cases per four weeks. So every week you take 250 cases, which means that It's basically 15 people from Atlantic Canada. From all four Atlantic provinces, it's 15 people every week. So it fluctuates a whole lot. So perhaps on those two weeks... It just happens that the nano scholars got people in uh, I don't know Fredericton or a PEI that like the Greens. Uh, it has to be sustained to have to be real. So I would tell my uh, my green friends, and I have green friends, to take a chill pill to relax. Maybe you have some former disappointed liberals, especially disappointed liberals about the carving and carbon tax, that could jump to the Greens. Uh, but it's not real if it's not sustained, and if it's not real, if it's seen by several pollsters. Yeah. So that's um, uh, we're not yeah.
0: seeing other polls uh, consistently putting them at seven, eight percent nationwide. I'd say that they're no longer at the two to three percent level anymore. They're yeah, now in the four yep. to five. Yep. Uh, but I don't see a big wave. I think this is more just a statistical variation. But there is an, uh, but there is yeah, an opportunity
1: ahead. for the Greens. I mean, if the oh, yeah, liberals sure. really are down and they are they're having trouble with those who believe that climate, uh, climate warming is the most important thing, there's an opportunity or a door wide open for the Greens. I'm just saying those polls, be careful here. So. Um, here, let me do these. We'll put
0: these two questions together because they both kind of relate to a similar thing. So Andrew Charlton on the Discord asked, what do we think are the chances that the PQ would force through an independence referendum <laughs> if they were elected to a minority government? And RTC asked on the Discord, what do you think the odds are that the Quebec Conservatives could hold a balance of power in a potential PQ or CEQ minority government or play spoiler? So this is a kind of minority kind of world. Yeah. So you can link those two together or not. They're kind of separate. But just the fact that we're talking about how a minority could work out in the national assembly if that happens in 2026.
1: Oh, that's it's so great that Quebec voters think about this, these scenarios 3 years in advance. It, it really it's it's really amazing. Okay, so Parti Québécois wins a minority. Uh well, a plurality of seats in the National Assembly in 2026. Pierre Paul Saint-Pierre-Manon has been adamant and he, he it we're getting to a point where it would be be very hard for him to walk this back. He said, if Mm. we get to power, we will have an independence referendum sooner rather than later. Um, If it's a minority, then I'm guessing that to to go through a referendum, to have the question, to to organize a referendum, you would need the the agreement of the National Assembly. I'm pretty sure Quebec Solidarity even though there's like just a dozen seats or maybe 10 seats, would go along with it. It would break Quebec like that for sure, but I think yeah. these, these M&As would follow along. And you would see some CAQ, uh, CAQ people being, you don't know what, I played the, the, the coalition game for a long time, but we lost power. I'm actually a Sovereignist. So it is possible, um, but also I think for Paul cet it could be a, a, the carrot in a stick thing. It could be like, well, we need a majority, and if we have a majority, we'll have a referendum, and then you campaign on that to to get your majority. Um, it it could be very interesting. I don't. Know, am I straying off 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 path here? What do you think, Eric? No, I think
0: that's right. I think that they. I I imagine that they put forward a bill that says that we want to have a referendum. They have some sort of agreement, maybe with Quebec Solidaire, about what it would be. Though Quebec Solidaire wants a constituent assembly to to talk about things before going to a referendum. Mm. If I understand their process, it's a bit complicated. So as you said, it might, (laughs) whether the Quebec solidaire would would get on with just a straight on referendum, I'm not sure. And as you said, it could also have some real repercussions within the party. But then what would the CEQ do? Would they have an open vote on this? I feel like it would just destroy the party. Oh, wait, Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. So so I absolutely see that PQ would do this. But whether they would actually be able to get majority of M&As behind it, that's Would all depend on the results of the election. But I think that they would certainly try. Now, what about the conservatives? Yeah. Um, Because I think with the kind of numbers that we see lately, three, four seats, completely reasonable. Could that be the balance of power in a
1: National Assembly? I don't see why not. Could be. (sighs) The thing is the balance of power, but I, I just to look at the question, it's not uh, like there's no like coalition ish hmm. uh, there. Yeah, I, yeah, the, yeah. the last two minority governments that we had in Quebec, the Charrette government in uh, 0, uh, seven and the Marois government in 2012, there was no coalition, so we're not no. talking about that here. Uh, the PCQ having the balance of power, yeah, but they would not be alone there. If the yeah, if true. it is Maribu government, we expect Quebec Solidaire to have the balance of power as well. So you have the 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 right of the right and then the left of the left having the balance of power. Uh, it could it could be for some we could be in for some really good theater. Uh, so to answer the question, it is possible. Uh, but I, the, the PCQ itself, I think, uh, would not be ready to go into any coalition because that's not their gig. That's not what they do. So,
0: And it would also be interesting to think about how that could work out uh, because in the minority parliaments in, in before assemblies, um, there weren't as many parties and yep. you know, there weren't these kind. But like if you imagine a scenario with I, where the CAQ could go to either the conservatives or the liberals or the PQ on different measures... That gives them lots of different options, right? And for the PQ, it's harder to see where they would find common ground with the Conservatives, but they could find common ground with the CAQ on some issues, with Quebec Lendera on some issues. So you can kind of imagine a kind of fluid minority legislature where it's case by case, Sometimes it, it's it's an economic issue, so the Liberals back it. Others, it's an identity issue, and the PQ or the CAQ backs it, and, and there you go,
1: and that's how that could play out. We would be very busy if that's the case, because we would have yeah. to uh, to increase the frequency of our Les Chiffres podcast if that happens, but we'll see hmm. everything in its time. So Yeah. Uh, how about uh, we we'll get through these
0: last two pretty quick. Uh, Adam Keith um, with the Rise uh, with the PQ on the rise with the robust sovereignty agenda. Do you think the PLQ has a chance to revive its standing with francophone federalists, or is it more likely that the CAQ becomes a party of francophone federalists? That seems to be the debate right yeah. now in Quebec, and and the consensus seems to be that maybe this will boost the Liberals, but for the CAQ, it's just hard to see them as as the pro Canada party.
1: Yeah uh we do not know the answer to that question very good question adam um for now we do not know because we do not know who the leader of the liberals is or will be but at some point the liberals are going to get the leader we'll see if they make a mistake or if they choose somebody uh, of quality um i would say though if the Parti quebecois really gets up there not 25 or 26 but let's say low 30s and suddenly really challenges for power Uh, first, it's going to break the CEQ. The CEQ will not be sustained in such an environment uh, because you you have many prominent cabinet ministers who are not sovereigntists. But then on the other side, you have Bernard Rainville and others who are sovereigntists that are just holding back right now. They just accepted that, okay, it's not on the table. If it goes back on the table, the CEQ is going to break in half. And then the liberals, if they have a good leader, a good Francophone leader, they could have a chance to say, listen, we told you that it would come back (laughs) and we will defend the no side, the the, the Federalist side. And also the Liberals, they kind of have an opportunity with the economic argument. Because when they left power in 2018, when they were beaten, They left the CEQ huge surpluses, and now the CEQ is just dealing with these union negotiations, and they just had an economic statement last week that said, oh, we don't have any money, we're broke, we have to be very careful, we're just on the edge of a recession. And I could see the liberals both saying, the PQ is back, you need us, and look what what the CEQ has done to Quebec's economy. So there is an opportunity there, it's just that they need the right messenger. They need the right leader. And of course, right now, the interim leader, Monsieur Tanguay, is not hit. So
0: let's uh, do this last question that I wanted to do from uh, Will Dick on Patreon. Yes. He said, uh, the last podcast, both of you were talking about the dippers. I've heard the expression before, but I have no idea where it comes from. Can you give us a history lesson? (laughs) Uh, So I'm not sure if there's much of a history in it, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that I'm pretty certain that the term dipper referring to New Democrats simply comes from Andy Peer, or Dipper. Uh I don't think it's any com- more complicated than that. It's it's used in more political circles, it's used on the hill, journalists would refer to dippers that way. Uh it's not really something that you would say more kind of in a professional setting, which is probably why we shouldn't use it too much. It's also <laughs> I think seen as a little bit of a pejorative term. Um you know, like there's lots of kind of insults that have dipper or dip, you know. Dip anyway, (laughs) like a moderate,
1: would you say it's like a modest slur? It's
0: like, no, I wouldn't, I don't know if it goes that far because I think uh, because people will just use it just because it's easier to say than colloquial democrats or but but yeah, but it's a term we should probably try not to use in the same way that I don't use Tories when we're talking about federal conservatives, it's it's just not very. But, uh, but our, our uh,
1: tendency is to use Dipper. But anyway, that's where mm. I think it comes from. I don't think it's any more complicated than that. I don't use Tories because the Tories died in 03. Uh, for me, the Tories is the progressive conservatives. Uh, yeah, I'll but,
0: sometimes uh, use them when we're talking about like provincial PCers uh, yeah. because the, they use that term out there. Hmm. But, but yeah.
1: So, Eric, uh, I have a quiz for you. Okay. Uh, I think it's a quick one. Um, but I think many of our listeners have noticed that uh, you lost a very close battle with the very first quiz and haven't missed s- since. <laughs> and so we argued that perhaps our quizzes, although always fun, were a little too easy. So I have one for you here. Um, I got to say,
0: the last week's I did pretty well. Oh, on yeah. Very, no, no. It was no, a no,
1: tightrope no. and I still beat it. I, I so. thought I increased the difficulty, but you still beat them. So mm-hmm. if you beat this one, I'm not sure we'll do quizzes again. So alright, we'll see. So it's a it's a very simple game. Okay. Uh there's seven rounds. I will give you a party and a gear of a general election. And A, B, or C, you tell me who had the most seats, period. That's it. Okay. Who had the most seats. Not in relative terms, but in absolute terms. So the absolute numbers. I see. There's one twist. I know that many of our listeners and members want to play along. So I will not tell you right away if you got the answer right or wrong. There are seven rounds. We're going to go through all seven. And then I'm going to give you your score. And Hmm. with that, you will have an opportunity to change some of your answers. And then I will give you your final score. A five out of seven is a tie. A win has to be six or seven out of seven because you do have a chance to change your answers once you know your final score. Are you ready my friend? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Alright, let's get some music. There you go. So, who had the most seats in those general election? Round number one. Frank McKenna's New Brunswick Liberals in 87. John Horgan's BC NDP in 2020. Or Preston Manning's Reform Party in 1997. 1997, okay.
0: Um, all right, so McKenna got, I believe, 57 seats in that election. Horgan got, oh boy, he also got in the high 50s, 56. Reform did a little bit better than they did in 93. So in 93, they won 52. Did they get up to 60? I think they got up to 60. So I'm going to say it was Preston Manning's Reform Party in 1997,
1: federal election. Okay, I'm punching this in. We'll see if you're right at the end. Round
0: number two. I don't like this. I like knowing how I'm doing. Okay,
1: keep going. (laughs) Round number two. Who had the most seats? Gordon Campbell's BC Liberals in 2001. (laughs) Bill Davis's Ontario PCs in 1971. Or... Peter Lougheed's Alberta PC, in 1982. Okay, uh, I'll,
0: I'll try. I'm, I'm trying to vocalize my thinking. So 1982. <laughs> uh, okay, so the legislature at that point would have been somewhere in the 70s, and there would have been a very small uh, opposition. So the PCs are probably around 70 seats. Um, there was only two seats that went to the NDP in 2001 in the B.C. election. But how many seats were there in the legislature? I think, again, it was 70.
1: Oh, I, 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 took, I took close results to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and
0: confusion. then the, other, the last one you said was. Um, Bill Davis's Ontario PC oh, in God, 1971. That one I'm not even sure. There, I think they won a majority. So they would have had a decent amount of seats. I think I'm going to say Gordon Campbell's. PC Liberals in
1: 2001. Okay, Gordon Campbell's punching the sis. I don't like this. (laughs) Round number three. Oh, by the way, not all the choices will be winners. So far, they have been, right? But they won't all be. All right. Round number three. Who won the most seats? Mike Harris's Ontario PCs in 1999. Mm, That was a big one. Pauline Marois's Parti Quebecois in 2012. Or. Ralph Klein's Alberta PC in 1993. Oh boy. Okay, so 93, the PCs
0: had their closest near-death experience before they actually died. Uh, the Liberals did well in that election, so I, I don't think it would have been them. in Mahua in 2012. How many seats did she win? It was less than a majority, so she would have had in the I think it was 54 or something like that.
1: Um, and then the other case was uh, remind me. Mike Harris, Ontario PC
0: 1999. Well, they won a majority there, so I, I think it's going to have to be Mike Harris PC
1: 1999. Okay, punching this in. All right. Round number four Brad Wall's Saskatchewan Party in 2011, Danny Williams Newfoundland and Labrador PC in 07. Or David Peterson's Ontario Liberals in 1985?
0: All right. So the Ontario Liberals got, I think, 48 <laughs> seats. The legislature in Newfoundland and Labrador in, in 2007, you said? That's right. It uh, was around 48, and they won nearly all of them. So they, again, would have been probably too low. Um, and then
1: and then it was... Uh, sorry, what was the last one? Radwall Saskatchewan party in 2011
0: they're the legislature 61 seats and the NDP would have won Hmm, so again a high 40s oh man these are tough I'm going to say it is Brad Wall Saskatchewan
1: Party, 2007 okay I'll punch that in we're four we're four rounds in alright round number five John Savage's Nova Scotia Liberals in 93 Mario Dumont's ADQ in 07 or roy romano's saskatchewan ndp in 95
0: hmm. okay so the 95 was i think <laughs> very close and they needed support of the liberals uh adq i'm pretty sure won 41 seats in 2007 um and john savage i have no idea how many seats they would have won
1: Oh boy. Uh, uh, that's a slight to our Nova Scotian uh, listeners. Sorry. Okay. I'm going to choose, see. for that reason, I'm going to choose John Savage <laughs> and the Nova Scotia Liberals. <laughs> All Put right. In faith. Okay. Round number six. Who won the most seats? Francois Legault's CEQ in 2012, Grant Mitchell's Alberta Liberals in 1997 or Sharon Carstairs' Manitoba Liberals in 1988.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so the Liberals in 88... I agree the, 88, this is getting harder and harder. Right? This is tr- tough. <laughs> Liberals in, in, in 88, I think, went around... I think they won around 20 seats. Lego in 2012, uh, I think they won 19, something like that. And... And then Grant Mitchell in 1997. I can't imagine they won that many seats. I'm going to say it was Karen, uh, Sharon Carstairs, Manitoba Liberals in 1988. Sharon Carstairs.
1: Okay, punching that in. This is a right. challenge. This one's tough. This one is tough. Okay. Round number seven. Last round. <clears throat> Gilles Duceppe's Bloc Québécois in 2000. Tim Hudak's Ontario PC in 2011 or André Boisclair, Parti Québécois in 07. Okay.
0: Uh, so the PQ finished third in that election. Mm-hmm. And I think they were in the mid-30s, like 35. The Bloc in, in 2000, I think, won 38 seats because they always still won a majority. And I don't think Hudak reached 40 seats. So I'm going to say it was just Bloc Québécois in 2000.
1: Okay. Alright, so we're done through seven rounds. So, here's this deal. Your score, you have five correct out of seven. No. Okay, so it's a tie. I think it's a really good score, but according to the rules of my game that I made up, it's a tie. So, you have two wrong. I'm going to let you... I'm going to go quickly through all of them. You can change your answers if you wish to. So... Round number one, McKenna, New Brunswick Liberals in 87, Oregon, NDP 2020, or Preston Manning Reform. You chose Preston Manning's Reform, and that's in 97. Do you keep that answer? Yeah, I'm going to keep that. Okay. So round number two, Gordon Campbell's BC Liberals in 01, Bill Davis's Ontario PC in 71, or Peter Lougheed's Alberta uh, PCs in 82. You chose uh, Gordon Campbell. In i'm 01. gonna stick with that one too I like you're sticking that with that one all right round yeah. number three it was mike harris in 99 pauline marois in 012 and ralph Klein's in 93 you picked mike harris you want to keep it oh yes has it hit this you keep it yes. all right round number four you chose uh sorry number four was brad wall saskatchewan party in 11 danny williams PC in 07 or David Peterson's uh, Liberals in 85. You chose Brad Wall. Do you want to keep that?
0: No, I'm going to change that to uh, Peterson.
1: You're going to change that to Peterson. Okay, yeah. Bunch that in. Okay. All right, number five was John Savage, Nova Scotia Liberals in 93, Mario Dumont's ADQ in 07, Roy Romano, uh, Saskatchewan NDP in 95, and you picked John Savage. Do you want to keep that? No, I'm going to switch it to ADQ. Switch it to the ADQ. Okay. And round number six, it was Francois Legault in 012. Grant Mitchell's Alberta Liberals in 97 or Sharon Carstairs' Liberals in 88 and you chose the Manitola, Manitoba Liberals in 88. I'll, I'll stick with Carstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, see All on. right. And the last one, the round seven. It was uh, Gilles Duceppe's Bloc Québécois in 2000, Tim Hudak's Ontario PC in 11 or André Boitler in 07 and you picked Gilles Duceppe's Bloc Québécois. You want to keep that? Yeah, I feel good about that one. I feel good about Okay. That one. All right. Now your score is four out of seven. Oh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> which one which one all right <laughs> so i'm sad to say that this time around uh eric lost in overtime so uh, is there a, the opposite of uh applauding uh, anyway, i can find some videos <laughs> so okay so let me go through that uh It was Preston Manning's reform party in 97. They won 60 seats. Frank McKenna won. That's what you said. It was really good. Frank McKenna won 58 and John Horgan's in 2020 won 57. Hmm. Round number two. uh, Gordon Campbell won 77 seats. Peter Aheed won 75 and Bill Davis's uh, PC won 78. So you got this one wrong. Round number three, it was oh, Mike... really? Davis
0: won 78.
1: Damn it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Mike Harris won 59 seats in 99. Pauline Marois won 54. And Raftline Klein won 51. So you got this one right. You chose Harris. Uh, round number four. Uh, Danny Williams won 44 seats in 07. David Peterson's in Ontario Liberals won 85 And Brad Walls won. uh, Sorry, sorry, sorry. In 85, won 48 seats. And Brad Walls, Saskatchewan party, won 49 seats. Ah. And so you had the right answer and you switched it. Unfortunately, that's a miss. John Savage won 40 seats. Mario Dumont won 41. And you said 41. See, I was right. Yeah. Roy Romano Romano won 42. So it was Roy Ah. Romano. That's, That's the wrong one. Round number six, François Legault in 012 won 19 seats. Grant Mitchell's yeah. Alberta won 18 seats. And Sharon Carstairs in Manitoba, the Liberals in 88, won 20 seats. And you did say 20 hey, seats. Hey, I said Good 20
0: exactly and, and 19 for Legault, I said.
1: That's right. That's right. Gilles Duceppe won 38 seats. So it was Quebec in half, basically, in 2000. Tim Hudak won 37 seats. And André Boitler won 36 seats. So you got this one right. So it was a very tough quiz, Ooh, and you lost tough. in overtime, which I think you'd still get a point when you lose in overtime. So, a uh, round of applause yeah, for that Eric because that. That, that was really tough. Uh, congratulations, Eric. You almost won. Wow, thanks. <laughs> this was really hard. <laughs>
0: Okay, okay. Let's move on to the numbers of the week. Let's finish this off quickly because I'm upset. Um, (laughs) Here, let me go first. Uh, My number is going to be 58%. This was the negative impression score for Justin Trudeau in the Abacus poll. And it was also the government disapproval number, so 58%. Uh, What was interesting is that Harper's was around uh, 50% Hmm. negative impression when Abacus did the same polling in 2015. So... um, it's it's you would have thought that maybe Harper's numbers were were worse, and you know based on if you did like approval ratings polling, it usually was, but because Abacus has that neutral number that they let people choose, uh, so anyway, Trudeau was at fifty eight percent negative. Harper was usually around fifty, so,
1: and that was when Harper lost. So there you go. Huh. My number is eighty one. Eighty one percent of Canadians are dissatisfied with how the Liberals of Justin Trudeau are handling the affordable housing crisis. Uh, I think this is the number one issue in the minds of Canadians. Not I think, but the numbers suggest that it is. And it is the worst score amount. The, the Leger did a poll uh, with uh, several uh, you know, uh, actions that the Liberals are taking. And uh, on affordable housing, it is the worst. 81% are dissatisfied. Only 11% are satisfied. Major challenge for the next two years for the Liberals yeah that's not gonna
0: go away and they can't probably fix it in two years so anyway um (laughs) so that'll be it for this episode and uh, we'll be back next week with our patrons only episode and if you don't want to miss it you can go to the patreon page at the numberspod.ca. and if you become a member you get access to the numbers every thursday we put them up on thursday for our members it goes out to friday uh, for public when they're public episodes we have the exclusive episodes every two weeks and you get to participate in the discord which uh Keeps growing, and and people are keep participating. So that's been a lot of fun. So oh yeah, I've already signed up. Absolutely. thanks very much. We appreciate your support. And uh, Philip, uh, I'm looking forward to next uh, two weekends from now. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, how that convention is going to shake down and to actually see you in person I i, I know, I, it's been a while
1: yeah. we'll, uh, I'm yeah. looking forward to see what we'll record I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to uh, make some phone calls and try to have some QS people on the record to speak to us so uh, it's going to be fun right. Merci no beaucoup doubtful. tout le monde, merci beaucoup Eric have a great day, have a great weekend